Welcome to Two Women Chatting with Liz and Michelle. Enjoying life in our 50s, we're also empty nesters, looking to reinvent, reset, have fun, and talk about topics with experts and friends that affect us, our kids, and our families. So grab a cuppa and join us on the sofa for a chat. There's always room for one more. We're not tech savvy, but we do our best. But it's a learning curve. All bumps, clicks, and noises are our own. Come on in and have a seat. Welcome back. It's been a while, hasn't it? It's been a few weeks. And yeah, that's unfortunate, but I did get my hip replaced. She certainly did. (laughs) So you might hear that it's a bit of a different ambiance. We've moved rooms because I can't get up the stairs very easily. And it has a bit derailed me on my uh, weight loss journey because apparently they put a really heavy (laughs) prosthesis in (laughs) <laughs> I think I think I got the heavy titanium rather than the light one because yeah, yeah. I'm I just went straight through the scales when I came home, which was really disappointing. Oh God, and I've got no excuse. Talking about healthy weight weight loss, which I'm doing very slowly, very very slowly, but it's working. But that's the way to go, though, isn't it? Go slow. Yeah, but it's incredibly slow. But it's going the right direction. You also were a bit concerned about allergies and stuff, weren't you? Yeah. But what? What? Come on, <laughs> tell us what was I the went- result of you getting that blood test. Lack of vitamin D. Yes. And that's why I was feeling a bit, ugh, you know, it wasn't anything to do with anything else. I was, I'm not ill, which is great. Just lacking vitamin D. So I've got a little spray that goes under your tongue. So it just shows we knew what we were talking about. We just <laughs> didn't get, get it quite right. right. Didn't act on it enough. Yeah. So I really feel like it's been so long since we sat on the sofa and just caught up a bit. How's your mum doing? She's doing well. She's doing really well. But she was the one that pointed out that I should perhaps check for vitamin D deficiency. Yeah, mums always know, don't they? They do, despite my, yeah, my mother's 91, lives on her own, incredibly independent. Well, we were talking about this, weren't we, that, you know, there's lots of different parents in the world. There's the independent ones, there's the ones who need a bit more care. My mum's just moved, but she's just sold her place and she's moved into this more sheltered accommodation, not completely supervised because she's quite independent too but um this is obviously such a a topical subject for our age group and it's really emotive and you know I've been talking to a lot of people about it recently and you have I know I think that's it it's just our kids have gone off to uni or left home our parents you know sadly well not sadly it's sad I suppose but they're getting older and they need a bit more looking after yeah we are literally the sandwich generation aren't we we are yeah yeah yeah. So does your how does your mum feel about it? Is she, you know, does she want to stay living by herself or does she envisage moving in somewhere? Well, she was really sensible to move from her 16th century cottage in the middle of nowhere. She moved about 10 years ago. I mean, so she's 91. She moved, she, at 80, she decided to move. And she's in a sort of bungalow with a room above, as she calls it, so she could have someone to stay if she needed to. But that suited her. But she doesn't, she is frightened if she has to move into home she just just doesn't want to do it she's aware she might have to we've discussed it which is something really important talk about it well knowing we were going to talk about this you went and asked her didn't you I did and she recorded it on her own on my phone and I made, went to my cup of tea she was out there doing it incredible let's take a listen I have been living on my own for more than 40 years and therefore I'm used to living independently 
However, one of the features that I think are most important is you plan as to what you're going to do as you get older. And in my case, I started planning about three or four years before I retired as to what I will be trying to do in my free time when I was completely retired. At the moment, I am not considering any, although I'm 91, considering moving to any form of assisted living. But I know that if I have to, because I'm no longer able to look after myself, it means that I need to discuss these moves with my two daughters to see what is the most convenient for all of us. I'm not scared about the future in terms of living independently because I have a supportive family. But at the same time, I do not like the idea of always being in a place where I'm told exactly what to do and where to go unless misfortune falls and I lose my memory. As far as I'm concerned, as long as I have mental facilities and able to think for myself, I'm perfectly willing to go on living alone. Oh, I love my mum. She's brilliant, I have to say. Just fantastic. She's just so eloquent. She just sounds so together. She really does. I was going to interview my mum, but she's a little bit reluctant to be on microphone. And she's still going through the transition of having moved from her flat into this new place. And I know she will like it once she's more emotionally invested and she gets used to all the new things that she's got to learn. And she's she's only got about 10 to 15 percent sight. So it's tricky for her to navigate. She's got to learn new routes to the front door and down the corridor and where the restaurant is and you know learn how to go and make an appointment for her hair but all of these things will come in time but as I said she was a little reluctant to be on microphone I will get her one day to to participate but my mother-in-law she's just passed her 80th birthday this weekend was her birthday and she has thought about this a lot having had a parent live with her her father-in-law back when she was my age actually so she She definitely has an opinion. Bob, my husband, is 81. And this weekend, I reached the big 8-0. And this really concentrates the mind. Where do we go from here? Well, I look back on our lives, and I think we've had nearly 60 years together. Good years. We're still best friends. We've raised a family. We've got beautiful grandchildren. When I was talking to Bob about this, where do we go from here? At the moment, we're fine. We're compass mentors, we're sociable, we travel a lot, we enjoy things, and we have a lot to look forward to. The big test is going to be when one of us is on our own. Now, when that happens, the whole scene changes. I think I could probably survive here a bit longer than Bob. He's, he's used to being looked after. But I think the big thing will be the loneliness. And I think then we will seriously consider, or whichever one of us is left, into going into care. I think that going into care, we would have to think about very carefully. It would need to be somewhere where we have independence, our own space, maybe a nice garden to sit in. Most of all, company. Somewhere where we could join with people, maybe have a meal, and have a game of bridge. All the things that we've enjoyed together. I think we we have to think that life still has lots to hold for us, and I hope it does. Main thing is the planning. 
We don't ever want to be a burden on our children. We don't want them to think, oh, God, I've got to go around and see mum today. I've got to go and do dad shopping or whatever it is. We don't want that. We don't want it for us and we don't want it for them. We want the things when they visit us. We want it all to be pleasant and all fun. And so I hope that we can look forward to good times ahead. Isn't she lovely? Oh, gorgeous. I know. I'm very, I must say, I'm very, very lucky with my second mother there. And as she said, they don't want to be a burden. But it's it's hard not to be, isn't it, when you're unable to make use of information technology or be able to walk far or be able to get your shopping for yourself. Inevitably, they have to rely on us or paid help or a paid care home environment. Such a selfless generation. But I think it's personal. It depends on the person, like in life, anytime. It's some are more considerate than others. And some, you know, younger people, the, the, the kids may be more caring towards their parents, always have been. So I don't think anything's right or wrong. I think the biggest thing, as is, is your mother-in-law said, was planning. Big time plan, talk to each other, talk to your, your siblings, talk to specialists out there, because really... We don't know, do we? We haven't been through it yet. I think it's really important as well to just be honest about it because, you know, we don't want to hurt their feelings. It's not an easy topic to bring up. Oh, you know, do you really think you should be living on your own still? It's got to be honest and you've got to have communication. Yeah, and there's there's ways around it as well. You know, being a bit more discreet is like my sister and I. My mum's really, as I kept saying, fiercely independent, knows she can't do certain stuff. Say, you know, the kids need to earn a bit more money. Can they pop round and do this, you know, paint paint your shed or, you know, clean your windows or whatever. It just means that things are done that she can't do herself because, John, honestly, she used to paint her shed, paint everything. My mum painted her shed only a few months ago at the age of 87. Mm. 87? Yeah, I think my mum's just, she stopped mowing the lawn, but that's only because the lawn mow's broken, not because she can't do it. But you know what? It's that kind of that war generation that were really independent, had to to make do, had to be, you know, think out the mm. box, yeah. had to walk a long way sometimes. We've got a lot to learn. Yeah, we have. And, you know, I, I respect that independence and I hopefully never overtread with being too bossy with her. I, I think we all, without realising it, we because, you know, we're human. We'll snap sometimes. You know, we will get cross. But they understand that. We are their children. So they, we, you know, they've known us all our lives. So they know that when, when, you know, what might annoy us, we might be tired. Yeah, comes so, from a good place, but it's frustrating for them. It's frustrating for us. Yeah, and you know, one of the things I think that you've got to be careful with at this time is the sibling relationships as well, because you might be separated by geography or the amount of time you can put into being a carer. So there's guilt, and there's I don't know thoughts of who can afford it more who can put more hours in and I very much want to avoid conflict with my sister and respect how much that she does which is more than me because she doesn't have a family I do have a family you know she's slightly older than me she's not at work as much but I do really appreciate that you know without her I don't know how we would be able to make mum so self-sufficient. Yeah, I think that's it. You've got to talk to each other. Talk, you know, it, we could go back to communication, but it's true. Because don't expect someone to do something if you haven't asked them to do it. Mm. When I used to live in New Jersey, I was friends, and I still am friends, with this lovely couple of women, Doreen and um, Doreen Hall and Anne Bangs. And 
in their 50s, they decided to set up this company. They saw a niche, which was they had a parent who needed some help transferring into a different facility. So they got together and they they started helping people move from one place to another. It could be across the state, could be locally into a different home or something. And then they, on top of that, they realized that if they got their real estate exams, they could help that person kindly and and with a great deal of support declutter reorganize sell their home hand hold them into a new place so i've got them for a little interview fantastic okay my first question is really is how did you get into this very interesting <laughs> well my mother-in-law who has passed away lived in savannah georgia and she was living in an independent living community and suddenly was not doing very well so had to be moved to an assisted living facility in this in the same complex and we were so far away we really couldn't be handling that and they recommended a lady down there who does what we do so she this lady penny took care of everything she moved her she had a you know took her shopping for new bedding helped her sell things, helped her sell her car, basically everything we couldn't do from a distance. And it was such a fantastic service that I researched it and thought it was something I would like to do. And then, Lo and behold, <laughs> I was just coming in. from England. Uh, my husband got relocated over here. And in my previous life, I was a Macmillan nurse in England for 20 years. You can um, say that. I can. I usually have to say nurse practitioner here. <laughs> I was a Macmillan nurse in England. And um, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just knew that I didn't want to do the sad job anymore. I did it for 20 years. And I kind of met Anne within my first two weeks of being in, in the US. And that was it. Yep. And we, sat at my, we basically sat at my kitchen table and created a company, two middle-aged women, thinking it would be a nice part-time job. And then seven years, almost eight years later, eight years, yeah. we have a booming little business. So, okay. Yeah, tell us, you've got quite a lot of employees now, haven't you? Yeah, we've we got nine now. Nine. Um, there are three of us in real estate because then we went into real estate as well. So that's a, another addition. <laughs> so do. from the senior move management, we also added real estate to our repertoire. And there was a reason for that, to be honest. And um, we were in business six months. And what we were seeing is some, not all, but some agents just saw the house. They didn't see um, our clients. They didn't see how distressed they were. They didn't see how overwhelmed they were. And they were making them do the most ridiculous things in the 90s. And it got to the point, one of our clients ended up in hospital. He was so stressed. Because the, um, because the realtor was making him paint his basement, which it was going to be sold to a builder anyway. So, you know, it, it was it was almost we, we had to do the real estate yeah. to help our darling clients. So we're, we're a little bit different in real estate. We're not the normal real estate agents. We're I not normal anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, caring is thoughtful, it sounds to me. Yeah, definitely. You're providing a real service above and beyond just selling a house. You're, you yeah. know, it's a one-stop shop for, I mean, people must be so grateful to you, both the people selling their houses and also the sons and daughters of those people who know that they can trust you so where does it start with you how when should people be considering doing this because if you wait until there's a crisis that's obviously too late so in hindsight where would you suggest that you start caring for your parents in terms of moving that's a difficult one to answer because the senior clients don't often see that it's a problem 
So, you know, they will stay in their own home until they reach a crisis. And then that, that makes our job harder and it makes it even harder on the carers um, and, the, and the loved ones. We always try to encourage our clients to move earlier rather than later. It depends on what they want. We, I mean, we've got some lovely clients in the late 60s who use us and they say, right, OK, I'm ready to downsize and move on. And we've got clients in the 90s who will say to us, we don't want to go anywhere. We just know we have to. Now we have one in his 80s who we moved out to an assisted living and he's moving back to his house. Yeah. So, I mean, it's really... <laughs> You really, there's nothing, you know, people are very interesting. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no set answer to that one. In an ideal world, people would start to do the transition when, you know, they felt it was the right time for them. You know, but in finding, reality, yeah, they, don't. they don't. You know, if they're finding it hard to get up the stairs, you know, if they're falling, you know, those are good signs to be thinking, okay, now it's time to perhaps start talking about moving. And very interestingly, in this job, we are always busy around the November, December, January time. You can see where the holidays have been and you can see when the family come to visit their loved ones and the holidays and then realise mum and dad are not managing like they should be and then we get the crisis calls of we need to move them or I hadn't realized dad's memory was as bad mum's not coping she her mobility is bad so it's a very interesting job yeah. isn't it so I think just you know observing yeah and, and very often most people aren't really aren't really excited about moving no. because you know they're losing their independence they're losing their home their memories but, yeah. you know, if they're sensible, they realise that they can't keep going up the stairs. And I had an 81-year-old mum, sadly died last year, but she would not move out of her bungalow. She just wouldn't move. And, and her mobility was so bad. Um, I had um, 24-hour carers coming in, but she was adamant she wasn't going to move. So no amount of my experience or nursing skills could actually persuade her to go anywhere. It's different when it's your own yeah. parents. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people try and stay in their own homes, don't they, to live as independently as possible, yeah. either through having nurses or carers come in. And I think, the, am I right, the UK government is quite a proponent of that. They obviously don't want care homes to be full up, at least not yeah. the ones that are provided by the government. Private care homes are a different matter altogether, aren't they? Yeah. yeah but a lot of people are opting to stay at home and just adapting their home to you know staying there so they've got you know the bathroom handicap do you ready. think that's, sorry do you think that's because they're worried about losing the because you know it's in the UK if you go into a home you have to you know give up a lot of your income well, the, the, the value of your property you have to sell your property and is it yeah. that the parents are worried that they won't have something to hand on to or you know or is it the kids encouraging to stay there because they want the inheritance it's it could be both actually <laughs> It's interesting. I mean, here it's it's very different, I think, to the UK and the care homes. Here it's very expensive to go into a an assisted living or a continuing care community. Mm. And it's not paid for by the government unless you have no money. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then it's really difficult. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean it's incredibly expensive. But um yeah. how do you even go about choosing the right home? And I know I know this is not your particular area, but you've probably come across this. How do people find the right places what are the questions that you ask when you've moved people to other places be it I don't know Florida or to a sheltered accommodation what do you what do you search for to make sure that it's right we don't to be honest um, Michelle nine out of ten times our clients know where they're they're going when we get them 
here in America, we've got nurse navigators that do that job, or we've or got geri- geriatric care, care managers. managers that do that job. So we, if if we get someone that they really don't know where they're going, despite the fact that I've got some nursing skills, you, it's it's really important that you put them in the hands of the professionals that can actually assess their condition before they actually go to certain places. Around here, there's some really, really good ones, I have to say, around here, Um, but there's also not so good ones as well. So I think it's also very important, you know, to get the the person who has memory issues in a memory care place and not just at assisted living. And then have to move them again. And then have to move them again. But I also think when you go to visit these places, you can tell very quickly from the, um, the welcome you get at the door what sort of place it is, because quite often we go to communities where people are extremely rude when you walk in which is a very bad sign we had one place where we were given a tour by one of the salespeople, and as we were touring there was a woman lying on a bed screaming and nobody was taking care of her so I mean you just don't think you have to go in and look at everything Mm. you know don't always have an appointment maybe just stop in and say can I just you know have a look around Mm. that's a good idea don't have an appointment Just turn yeah. don't have them, so they're yeah. not on their best behavior just mm-hmm. so you can see what was really happening yeah you know if it smells horrible you can <laughs> yeah and that's a good one yeah absolutely you know you need to make sure that they're you know it's clean but I also think you know getting testimonials from people who have their loved ones in that home we we are very much as a business we have now loads of testimonials and that's something that we share with all of our clients and I think you know if if somebody's actually thinking about putting their loved one into a camp testimonials are the way forward I mean if they haven't got any any you have to question why or they, they should have people you can talk to yeah you know. Yeah. And what about the process of actually moving out? You know, when you've lived in a place for, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years. 67 (laughs) is our longest running one. Oh, tell us, please, please tell us. Do you remember the story? You probably know some of the things that you've come across when you've been clearing houses. Didn't you come across a bomb once? Did we come across what, sorry? Did you come across a bomb or a hand grenade or something? We actually had had a World War II bomb, a practice bomb. which was in a garage and it was fine. It was very bright and decorative and blue. And in fact, the giant guy took it to decorate his basement. It was a little bit of a shock. When we it was a shock, yeah. <laughs> but we've had all sorts of things, a lot of dirty magazines. Porn, um, porn, porn, porn. porn. <laughs> had a lot of that. Just, just interesting things. You never quite know what you're going to find when you open a drawer. But getting back to your original question about, you know, where do we start? I mean, our longest running client was in that house for 67 years. I mean, it was full. It was full. But it doesn't matter whether in their five years or when they're 67, we have the same principle when we're moving people out. You know, we have a a format that we actually carry. We, We call it phases because they get too overwhelmed when they think of the big picture mm-hmm. so we have to break it down for them and they they, they kind of like that yes don't they, they do because it's too much for them our first start is to look at where they're actually going once we know where they're going and we take the measurements of the place they're going to we can then establish what furniture we're going to take with them because um most of the time they would like to take it all but in reality they're downsizing and it's not going to fit so um that's our start and when we when we when we've got all the measurements we bring a magnetic board and it's you know we don't do it on a computer it's nothing like that we put it in in front of them 
them and they can we have move little pieces of furniture the parts around set it up. yeah so that we we actually we actually it's really good because it it shows you know where everything will fit but most importantly it'll show what, what won't fit, fit. and it's quite, not like yes you can have that eight foot sofa but you can't have anything else in the room <laughs> it quite often will be will be you know have a have a sofa in our hands and go this just won't fit this sofa could you try fit it in it just won't fit but they like it too because it's like playing a little game almost yeah yeah it's, it's very tactile so once we've done the floor plan we can then um organize movers because we can actually say to the mover, this is what's take, this is what we're taking with us. And we Anne and I now we've got that much experience. We can guesstimate how many boxes we're going to take with us. You know, two-bedroom apartment between 60 and 70 boxes, that's all we should be taking. That's not sometimes what we do take, but that's all we should be <laughs> taking. So once we've got the mover organized and we always get two or three different moving quotes, they're always very different, but we always use the movers, the moving companies that we like and trust. Mm-hmm. And then we start the process of the pack up. So this is all phase one. What do you want to take with you? Now, this, this depends very much on the clients. Some of them would like us to go through every single drawer and say, do you want to take this one? Do you want to take this one? That takes forever. Some clients are um, super organized and can do that by themselves. Some clients have memory issues and sometimes unpack the boxes before we go back the next time to pack them again. So it just um, it's a never ending beast. We do that free one hour consultation initially so we can assess our clients. So we know what we've got to face. We know how much time it's going to take to do them, to get to get them moved. And then we come to moving day. Yeah, then on moving day, we meet early in the morning with the movers. We usually tell our clients to leave for the day because it's very stressful and dangerous. And they always want to be in the middle of it. And the movers are trying to move things and they're they're falling over. We've had clients falling over. So we tell them to go away for the day, have a nice lunch and just wait for us to get there. So we basically supervise the movers, make sure that they've taken everything we want them to take and not things we don't want them to take. And then we follow the movers to the new place if it's local. And then we call our team in. And when the boxes arrive, we basically unpack them. We make the place look beautiful. We stage it beautifully. We make the bed. We put the food in the refrigerator. And then when they arrive, we could have called them about half an hour after, you know, before we're ready to, for them to come. And then we have the big reveal, a bit like a reality <laughs> TV show when they come in. So then you have. <laughs> and they always have happy tears. Usually. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's very, it's very um, satisfying, actually, because you, you go from seeing them completely overwhelmed in their house of 70 years or whatever to, oh, this is all my stuff in this beautiful new place. And we did this. It's lovely. It's very satisfying. And then when we, you know, finally empty the house and sell it, it's uh, so that's that's phase two. So phase two consists of us going back to the house. We always like to give them if we can. We always like to give them two weeks because just in case they've left something behind that's really important to them or they've changed their mind and they want to swap one table for another which we quite often get. So we usually like to leave it two weeks if we can. And then the phase two is the emptying of the house and phase three is the selling of it. So we're looking at what can we sell, what can we donate, what can we junk, you know, what do we need to stage the house and then get it on the market. Have you got any good tips on preserving their treasures? Obviously they can't keep everything. Have you come across some good ideas you know, there must be dozens of photos, dozens of ornaments. What do you do? I mean, you can take photographs of your favourite things before you sell them or donate them. 
there are various companies that will take your photographs and put them on a disc if that is something they want to do. Also, the, lots of people have lots of slides. Remember in the 70s or whatever, when people had slides and slide projectors? I can't tell you how many of those we come across. And I believe you can actually have those put onto yeah. a disc as well. And it can have your videos put onto DVDs. And so we do, we do that. I mean, a lot of the time, you know, people might have a lot of clothes. Some people would part with them, some people are not. You know, there's things like you can make a blanket out of some clothes, especially if there's been a, a death. You know, I've known people make pillowcases out of T-shirts that's belong belong to the, the person who's died, things like that. So it's just kind of, you know, looking at what the circumstances is and how best to handle that, that situation. But there's lots of different things and creative things that we've, we've, we've done to enable them to keep a hold of the treasures. You know, it's, I guess for our generation, taking photographs with your mobile phone is so easy. But for the generation we're dealing with, some of them don't have a mobile phone or some of them have one, but never switch it on. So, you know, it's kind of pointless to upload things sometimes onto a phone or upload onto a computer because they never no, they look at make them into a nice little book, a photo book. We do. And a lot of the time we'll take the photos out of the frames and take the photos with us and donate the frames. And that sort of thing we'll do to just to treasure the and memories yes, really take up less space in their new place, which is smaller. And encourage the family to take stuff. That's a big one. You know, even if they don't want it, just take it. Just take it. You know? <laughs> Grandma's best china that just you really don't it. want. Just take it and put it in your basement. <laughs> because it's just it's so distressing for them to think that their prized possessions are no longer worth anything. You know, if you can't sell them and your family don't want them. Yes. If you leave them in a box, it they just get that reassurance. Listen. Yeah, that they've got them. Yeah. And they don't need to know that the box is never open. I mean, quite often we end up taking things from our clients because they're so insistent that we, you know, just take it. Well, we take it and. But it's nice because they'll say, well, Anne took that. I mean, they, you know, we will eventually donate it on. But but it's it's lovely for them knowing that it's you took somewhere. it, I, I took it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's gone somewhere. Somebody Rather wanted than to it. the junk. Because nobody wants their things to go to the junk man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, doesn't it? Because it's precious yeah. to them. Yeah, that's yeah. so true. Mm. It's been thoughtful, this. as you said. We said being thoughtful about about change, yeah. the transformation. Mm. And for yeah. people who are helping their parents or looking towards this as their next phase, doing all the stuff that you're suggesting early and maybe going through photos with them in a in a nostalgic way. That's a lovely thing to do, and then producing a photo book from them and. Or, or, you know, getting the slides onto a slideshow that you can keep. Those are lovely, lovely moments you can share. Yeah. I mean, quite often, if we're moving somebody around Christmas or Thanksgiving, we will say, just take the box with you. And when you get together with your family, look through the photographs together, you know, and that's a nice way to do it. Yeah. You know, as I said, each senior is individual and, and, and some are really good at it and some are not. And the ones that are not are really do struggle because they do want to take everything with them. And no amount of us saying it won't fit. It just doesn't work. I mean, we had that lady who took 52 jackets. Yes. 52 jackets. The closet wasn't big enough to hold her clothes. Never mind 52 jackets. I need them for every occasion, she said. Yeah. And obviously that 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 means when when we unpack, we know we're going to hit a crisis at the other end because there's nowhere to put anything. So, yeah, that's a difficult one for us, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, because yeah, we know it's going to be tough for them at the other end. 
just one of the you know when you know you say kids change schools you and they don't like it you say oh give it a term you know before you know you can leave or or you know you've got to, it takes time to, to 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 settle in how how long do you think you know if if for example I was my mother was moving into to assisted living you, how long should you say it can take you this long to adapt or to get used to it when you and then you realize they absolutely really don't like it yeah, that's a good question. You know, we see some of our clients that will settle very quickly in, in the space of a couple of weeks. You know, as Anne said before, we've got a client that's been there a year and a half now, is still not settled and we're moving them out. So I think it depends very much on the individual. We know, we kind of know when we move them in. We know their personality. And when they're moving into an independent living or assisted living, one of the reasons they're moving in there is to get some social activity going on. The ones that don't like social activity anyway won't won't join in when they get there. You're not going to change that personality. I mean, I would say give them at least six months at least six months but you know really I think it's a lot a lot about looking at that person's personality prior to them moving in. I also think with COVID it's been very difficult for yeah. people moving into communities like this because they haven't been able to socialize yeah you know there's been any activities yeah. put on by no. the homes either. So it's not quite it's not quite normal at the moment. No so should we finish this on a somewhat positive note in your experience how many people end up loving where they end up when they when you do it properly and you've, you've researched it properly would you say the majority are happy I'd say about 85 90 would you? I would have said 90 yeah good 90 it's amazing because when we go back to these places because we're moving somebody else in you you know you'll see them and they'll be like completely and different they look much they're healthier not much less stressed yeah they're, they're not overwhelmed they're happy they they you know most of the time they're yeah. interacting with other people they enjoy having meals we feel like proud they, parents we do don't we? <laughs> we've they, set them off on the right to the right place <laughs> i think the big thing is that this simplified the life and that that whole overwhelming phase is just gone and disappeared mm. they never think they'll get through it it's like climbing yeah. a huge mountain and we yeah. get them over the top that's good it is yeah thank you so much that's been really enlightening and really helpful wow that was interesting that was so enlightening wasn't it It yeah yeah i guess one of the issues we have to think about though is if our parents don't want to move Mm. and they want to stay in their homes what do we do yeah it's really hard because i mean i could understand that being absolutely stubborn you can't physically move them if they don't want to or who do we ask about that? Or how do we make it happen for them? I mean, that's really our job, isn't it? It's to make their wishes. And there must be some technology out there that, you know, can assist as well. Well, let's go and find out about it. Okay. You go research. <laughs> oh, not me. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, seriously, let's go and do a bit of research. And I think this topic is too big for one podcast. And the other thing that I want to really return to is, you know, caring for our parents. It's um, burnout. Uh, You know, it's exhausting. And how do we get, you know, a break from that? And how do we encourage parents, you know, our parents to maybe go and take a break so that we can take a break? Yeah, Yeah, I think that's something that we've really got to think about. All right, well, let's go and do some research and come back on it. Join us on the sofa next time for part two.
Thanks for listening to Two Women Chatting with our special guests. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you left a rating and review. Even better, share with your friends. And please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. There's a link on our Instagram bio and Facebook pages.